Welcome to Fresh Cut Grass, light conversation with turf grass professionals from across the turf industry, with your hosts, Jeff Fowler and Tanner DelVal. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Fresh Cut Grass. My name is Jeff Fowler, one of your co-hosts. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Tanner Delval. Tanner, good to have you. Glad to be here, Jeff. How have you been? You have uh, you have some new hearing, right? I do. Um, so a lot has happened since the last time um, we recorded, um, and I now have the ability to actually hear. Um, for the for the listeners that know me, they know that chemo was very hard on my hearing um, about five years ago. And um, my audiologist recommended me for a cochlear implant. So I had that done and um, I just had it turned on last Friday or last Thursday. So I'm still adjusting to this new electronic noise that's in my head. Um, But it's really, really cool to be able to hear again. Um, That doesn't mean I won't say what. Um, If if you don't believe me, just call my wife and ask her. I'm still using the excuse. So don't don't let it out of the bag. All right. Yeah. Well, you've always had like voices in your head, though, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> now, now I have to listen to them, though, because they're really, really loud. <laughs> Good. But hey, you've got some news, too, since the last time we were on the show. Um, that big exam thing, you, you got that out of your way, your comprehensive exam for your PhD. Yep, it's all done. That was last week. And uh past fortunately so uh, on to the next step and a lot of writing ahead of me yeah i don't have to call you doctor yet but um, the time's coming no um, you never have to <laughs> well well we won't even go down that road um, <laughs> just because i don't want somebody to think i'm making a political statement i just want to know will it be a real doctor or are you going to be a real doctor or is it just going to be one of those fake phds oh i mean i'm not working on you know i'm not a i won't be working on people so no, yeah, I like I go by my first name, <laughs> always. Yeah, I get you. Hey, today our guests, um, we have another panel. Um, we have two guests with us today. Um, one of them is brand new to the show, Randy Price. Randy um, is a, a, a good friend of mine. We've known Randy for a long time. We served on the, um, when it was the STMA board together, now the SFMA board together, Um I don't know, two, three years um, together on the board. And with him joining us is Aaron Wilder. Aaron is from Sod Solutions. You'll remember she was on the show with us um, when we talked about Bermuda grass um, with Jimmy Simpson. But with us, you know, these two, um, our topic today, Tanner, is zoysia grass, something that I know very, very little about. So I'm sure that Randy and Aaron are going to outwit us on this show. Um, but that's the intent of having a of having good, of really bright guests with us. Um, Randy, Aaron, welcome to Fresh Cut Grass. Appreciate it. Thank you. Look forward to the to the morning. Glad to be here again. Thank you, Jeff and Tanner, for having us. So, our our like I said, our topic zoysia grass. I, I, to us in the north, it's a weed. Um, it, yeah, it let's let's close. let's let's start there. How do you kill it? How can you get rid of zoysia grass? How about that one? (laughs) (laughs) 
Randy, I'll let you take that one as a producer. You can talk a little bit about that. Well, no, I, well, I, I kind of meant it just to be kind of funny that we're going to start with introducing a grass and we're going to try to talk about killing it, but I'll let Jeff finish. I just wanted to kind of to no, say I guess, that. I guess so, I mean, my, up, I guess up my, north, to, to us up north, it's a weed. Um, it came in a little plug um, that somebody bought online from a garden center um, or from an online magazine that was advertising a, a hardy grass that um, would with, with, wouldn't die when dogs did their business on it. That's, that's the way they advertise it up here. Um, and now there's areas that it has taken over um, and, and it has no color this time of the year in, in, you know, the end of April, first of May, um, when we're recording this, it has very little color to it. Um, and, and it's coming, becoming more and more popular. I've seen yards of it. That I played golf on it south of here. Um, played golf on Zoysia, but I know very, very little about it. So um, we'll go from there. Tanner, um, how do we get, I guess the first question is, you know, how do we get rid of it in our cool season grasses? Um, is, is it possible to do? Yeah, I guess that was, that's a, when people, we talk about it up here, usually it is a weed. Um, but I, I want to get into why people would use it. But I guess the first question that probably the, a lot of the Northern listeners would have is how do you kill it? And I guess there are situations where probably if you're doing renovations or something that you do need to try to, to kill, because there's different varieties, right? And there's different, you know, appearances they may have. So I guess there are situations where you need to get rid of it. I guess I would, I would address that uh, in the fact that I guess the best thing to say is why would you ever want to kill it? It's a beautiful grass. So if it grows, let it go, get rid of that cool season stuff that all of us uh, Southern guys try to get rid of. Uh, so it, it's funny that you, you know, you draw that line in the cool season, warm season thing. Um, you know, the, the first thing that Jeff said, it was a real detriment at least in my opinion, to the zoysia industry in the South. Uh, you, you mentioned the plugs uh, you bought on the, on the parade magazine on, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, you know, dad would sit down in the chair and say, oh, look, mom, look, here's a new grass. Let's try it. And so that those plugs would be sent out, you know, at um, about 10 times what sod cost. And they would plant it and then they would get busy and forget about it. And in the South, that, that plant didn't have a chance to survive. And so for years, now we're, we're talking several years ago, I'm an old guy, but several years ago, uh, that almost killed the zoysia industry or did, made it, hard, made it hard for the zoysia industry to grow because that's what people's memory of zoysia was. Uh, you plant it. It's going to, you know, it's supposed to grow together. You know, the magazines tell you anything, just like the media, right? So they tell you it's going to grow and you'll have a full yard in two weeks. And six months later, it hadn't grown at all. And it probably died because they lost interest. So that was, that was kind of a detriment to, uh, to the zoysia trying to really get started. Uh, but I think we have successfully uh, sod solutions, all growers that appreciate what we do and, the, and, the, and the, what the zoysia grass will do. Uh, finally overcame that, but it was a tough climb. It was interesting you said that. Matter of fact, Jeff, that's the first thing I thought of when when you said you want to talk about zoysia. That's that always first thing that comes to mind. 
But to get yeah. rid of it, Roundup's the only thing I know. But Aaron, what about you? Yeah, I was going to say that yellow advertising in the back of the papers was, it was Myers. It was Z52 is all it was. And you look at any Myers growers that are in that transition zone, pushing that climate further northward, you know, that's a two-year grass to grow in. And I know we'll get down the road where we're going to talk about newer varieties that have a much faster growing rate and can turn faster for the sod farm and for the homeowner. Um, but shipping plugs all over the U.S. was completely a detriment to the future of zoysia. So it's been fun to see even in the last 20 to 25 years what the zoysia program has been able to do. Um, and I would be totally hands-on with what Randy's saying, you know, hey, if you've got it and it's growing, it's a beautiful grass. So weeds in South Florida, to all you Northerners, is St. Augustine. Zoysia looks a whole lot more like the cool season grasses. So yeah, no, a it lot can of definitely. for that. Yeah, I mean, it can definitely in season. It looks great. I mean, but I guess taking a step back, if so, if someone up here, we'll say in Pennsylvania or New York, even Maryland, would you venture to say that probably most of the zoysia is Meyer, I assume? It could be Myers. Um, there are some newer varieties that are coming out on the market that have a better cold tolerance. But most of what's grown up in that region is Myers and Innovation, which is one of the newer ones out of Texas A&M and Kansas State, really was released to um, replace Myers. That was the sole purpose of what they were doing. And that was, you know, almost 20 years of research before they released that a few years ago. And that was to come in and be a little bit faster growing. But Myers is a, a medium blade um, zoysia grass. So if we jump off into different types, you've got matrellas, you've got Ten unifolios, and you've got japonicas. Japonicas are the wider, coarser bladed zoysias, and then you go all the way down to the ten unifolias. So, um, but there's been a trend in the industry that most of the grasses are coming out are kind of a matrella japonica blend. So they're not as coarse as something like Empire El Toro. They they are a little bit more similar in looks to the Myers, but actually a little bit finer. So what you just mentioned for our listeners, those are the I guess that would be the gene, well, the species of each one there. So you said uh, you want to rehash over the, the names. I think you said uh, Japonica, Matrella, and what was the other one? Tenunifolia. Okay. And you had said that there was a, a blend between the two, or I guess, would that be a hybrid? And is that only vegetatively mm -hmm. propagated then? Yes. Yep. Okay. Because there are some seeded zoysias, correct? Yes, there are. So I guess, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the, you know, which ones are seeded and the hybrids and I guess what the uses are? Yeah. Randy, are you growing any seeded zoysias? I do not. All, all of ours are vegetative. Okay. Okay. So when you start looking at um, some of the, I guess, let me back up just a second. I think one of the older names used to be Pacifica. Do you remember that, Randy? And then they sure. changed it to Tenunifolia. Um, or maybe I'm swapping that. Maybe it was 10 Unifolia and now they call it Pacifica, but Terry, you may want to cut that I think it part. may be that way, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So I still refer to it as 10 Unifolia, but I think in more recent terms, most of the um, breeders are referring to them as Zoysia Pacificas. So, and they're a little bit coarser. So 10 Unifolia would actually be super, super fine. And Pacifica is a little bit closer to a Matrella. And then you go Matrella and then you go Japonica. 
So, um, so in terms of some of the seeded varieties, I, of course, am more familiar with the vegetative varieties since that's what we do predominantly. Um, but Zorro, or no. isn't it Zorro? Zenith. Zenith is Zenith. the seeded variety. Zenith yes. is the seeded variety. And that's really the most popular yeah. seeded variety that I know on the market. Randy, what other ones would you? You know, I'll be, I'll be honest. We, we, we stay far away from those. Not that, not um, there's necessarily anything wrong with them that are not, my knowledge is just limited on seeded because we, we feel like the vegetative product is, is a more pure, uh, you know, we don't have it, don't have it changing back or we don't have off types in it nearly as much. Uh, so we, we've, we stick with the vegetative and, the Zenith is really the only one that I've seen in the marketplace um, available, especially from sod form. I don't know of any other sod, sod grown seeded variety, zoysia grass. And I may miss a few, miss one, but that's all that I know of. So how, question for you both, and you can fight over who answers it, but how, how far south would I need to come before I would from Pennsylvania, um, before I would consider having a zoysia grass lawn. Can I start with that one, Aaron? Mm -hmm. I, I always have to tell a story, right? Uh, the, the very first, I was very young in the, in the turf industry, uh, had an opportunity. My, my uh, brother-in-law lived in Kansas City, and I went up to play golf with him. And we played on a zoysia grass course. I couldn't tell you the variety at the time. It was probably Meyer uh, because, you know, in those days that, that, that Meyer was about 90, what, 90% Aaron of all the zoysia, maybe 99%. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was beautiful. I mean, the, the ball set up on top. I'm not a golfer. So the fact that that ball would set up like it was on a tee was, was a great thing. And yeah, uh, I, I've played golf on zoysia and it, it's definitely my friend. Um, cause my golf game is just about three strokes worse than yours, Randy. That's impossible. But, uh, to say how far, you know, I consider Kansas, we were just on the edge of Kansas city, Kansas. And I consider that one of the worst climates in the country. It gets colder than anywhere else. It gets hotter than anywhere else. It has tremendous humidity. Uh, so Beyond, Erin would probably address anything north of that much better than I, because she travels the country more than I do. So if we want to, I did come up with another seeded. So if we want to talk about seeded varieties, really the only two varieties that I am aware of are Compadre and Xena. So those are really the only two seeded varieties that I can think of right now that are on the market for sale. Most of the varieties you're going to find are going to be vegetative varieties. Um, and really establishing vegetative varieties seems to take on a much faster than working with a seeded variety. So if we start talking about where are most of those varieties growing, um, Myers has been the one, like I said, has really pushed that transition line, zone line a little bit further north. With some of the newer varieties that have come out, you have seen that. Um, I would agree with Randy on the Kansas City. That's a very difficult market to grow anything in. Um, but 
You know, you really, we do have growers that are up into the mid-Atlantic that are growing zoysia grasses. Um, we do have them in, you know, Southern Illinois, Southern Indiana. So believe it or not, they're a lot farther northward. What I tell people is zoysias are some of the last to wake up in the springtime. So your dormancy period's a little bit longer on them. Um, but then you look at the water restrictions and that's going to continue to be a growing concern. Zoysia grasses <clears throat> and Bermuda grasses do really, really well with a lack of water. So I think you're going to see a lot of transition in those to those climates where things are difficult for warm season grasses, but they can still perform where you're going to see people moving in that direction because of water restrictions. I'd, I'd like to add one thing to, to that. Uh, in Texas, I know you guys don't have much sympathy uh, in, in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, wherever, but uh, we had the coldest winter that I've experienced in my lifetime and hope I never do again uh, in February of 2020. Uh, we stayed at zero for uh, somewhere around 50 to 70 hours, depending on where you were. That that's tremendous cold weather for us. We're not we're not built for that. Um, the zoysia grasses were the only grasses that we have in production of all of our acreage that we did not lose to winter kill. Did not lose something to winter kill. Uh, we didn't ever, we didn't lose all of anything, but you know we would have spots all over the fields of all the other grasses, but zoysia we did not have any winter kill. So let's. Real quick about that question. We've talked about Bermuda on here a few times and we talk winter kill is an issue. Obviously, I guess it could be an issue on zoysia, but you said that you didn't have an issue. Can you identify or winter kill on Bermuda or zoysia before it starts to green up or no? Like, is there a way to look at it? Like I have some plots up in State College and down at Penn State Berks two places in Pennsylvania and there's some odd looking the Bermuda is just starting to wake up and there's some spots that look kind of funky. And I'm like, and they, they look kind of like real limp and like off color, like not bleach white color, like the normal straw color, more like a, a like a drab Brown color. And I wonder if that's winter kill. It's, it's likely or very possible that it could be. Um, <laughs> I, again, I had never – we typically don't have much problem in Texas with winter kill on Bermuda grass, especially all the improved varieties that, that we grow, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but I saw and, – and we knew it. We knew it pretty quick. And, of course, Bermuda and Texas, where, especially in our central Texas farm and one of our north Texas farms, uh, we knew pretty early on what, what the – what it was and it was just brown compared to the other you can look across the field in early spring and you can see a green tinge uh to, to the plant there was nothing. nothing and and then by the time the other grasses came out there was just a hole <laughs> it was just gone so with like bermuda does would those some of those spots like fill in from the stolons and whatnot no it won't on, on bermuda on, on this particular I still go back to the severity of it for us. Aaron, you, you may, you may have some experience with this also, but w I mean, we have spots that we 
for one reason or another have not had time or just haven't remedied yet. And they're still, it looks like, I mean, there's nothing there. There's no rhizome. There's no, they're no stolen. There, there's nothing. It's just bare spots in the field. Gotcha. But that's only, again, I'm pretty old. First time I'd ever seen it here. Yeah, I tell people, you know, we're working on a project right now where somebody reached out to us to ask us about how to identify if their Bermuda grass is going to come back. And I think it's one of the things that we talked about with Jimmy on the phone is to really take a plug out, put it inside and give it some light and some warmth and see if you can get it to wake up. If there's nothing down within that crown that's green, it's likely winter kill. Um, so I do believe that there's a little bit of discoloration that you wouldn't normally see when you have winter kill. So you have kind of more of that grayish brown look to it rather than it being, you know, especially on zoysia grasses, they tend to have like this golden brown color when they go into a stage of dormancy. Um, so that's really the easiest way to, to take it inside and see if, you know, maybe the section hasn't woken up. So like up here, we talk about it maybe being a zoysia grass in general, being a weed. And a lot of the places that we see it, it's been there for a long time, like probably 40, maybe 50 years. And I wonder if that winter kills because it's we've had some, I mean, over 40 years, we've had some pretty darn cold winters or some cold situations. And I'm sure maybe there's some out there, but you go out there and you can still see a lot of zoysia grass in these places. And it's the same lawns, you know, over and over. So I guess, you know, when you, you know, you went through when we talked a little bit about the different um, species that are out there and how a lot of the, the use in the professional world, I assume, is vegetatively propagated through sod and maybe some sprigs and and plugs. So are plugs still a thing? Yes, very much so. Um, there are, there are a few places to buy plugs. One of the things that Sob Solutions did a couple of years ago, I had a relationship with a large vegetable grower who's a worldwide grower. Um, and we've been working with them on really kind of mastering the plug tray growing side of it. There are some growers who harvest plugs from the field. Randy, I think way back in the day when um, Turfgrass America was around, right. Turfgrass America was one of the first plug producers in the U.S. They kind of made some transition over the years and they stopped doing that. And there are very few operations that do it. But we used to attend shows 10 years ago and they would always ask, where can we get plug trays? Where can we get plug trays? So now Sod Solutions on our homeowner driven website, we sell a lot of plug trays. And they're soilless media, so you can ship them anywhere in the country into California and not have to worry about the contamination, whereas some of the other plug producers are harvesting with a specific machine out of their field, and it's got that soil profile, so you cannot ship that anywhere. But there are plugs. We sometimes sell plugs in such large quantities, you'd be floored that somebody would buy 60 flats of 72 cell plugs to plug out their yard. But that delivers to their doorstep rather than trying to get a truck to deliver two pallets. They just go out and plug it. And so we do a lot of education on realize you're growing this in, plant them on kind of one inch centers to help them grow at a little bit faster rate. And we're doing the japonica types like Empire. So that way the speed of growth is faster than something like Emeralds or Myers or Xeon or Zorro that's a fine bladed that takes a little bit longer. 
on one inch centers. Wow, that's that's close. <laughs> that's well, they're seventy two cells, so they're very very small plugs. Can you just sprig it? Oh, absolutely, you can yeah. sprig it. But tell a homeowner to sprig their yard <laughs> and deliver spray to them. That's a little bit more challenging. Yeah, a homeowner wants to be able to <laughs> right. They want to go in and plug that in their yard and move about their life. So. Um, it works well and there's a huge demand for it. And I think there's a few nurseries. Texas was a big area where we had a lot of requests for plug trays. Yeah. So there's a couple of nurseries, I think in Texas that still sell some plug trays as well. So Randy, if I am a homeowner in your area in Texas and I contact you and I want a Zoiza lawn, are you going to sprig me a yard or are you going to sod me a yard? <laughs> I'm hundred percent. I'm going to sod you a yard. Uh, the homeowner in general. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm using a broad brush here. Uh, doesn't have the time or the expertise in most cases to grow a sprig in, in Texas because of our potentially extreme weather changes. Uh, how long does it take you to grow in a sprigged field? Um, well, and, and that's a, that, that's a, there's a lot of ifs and, and buts about that deal. But if we, if we plan at the perfect time and, and we grow one in at our, at our production field, uh, generally on the zoysia grasses, we're looking at 90 to 90 to a hundred days, depending on, depending on how thick we plant the sprigs. If, we've been, you know, we've been known in a, in a pivot, we start off planting a really heavy rate to get that first part of the crop ready to go and then go lighter for the rest of the pivot so that, you know, that's grown in by the time we sell the, the, the first 10 acres or whatever. So wait, Randy, you said 90 to hundred days on your zoysia grass growing. We have, we have done that in some fields. Is that too that's, fast or too slow? That's that's surprising. I would have never thought that that's, that's at a, I mean, I tell people nine to twelve months on average on growing in a, a zoysia field. That that's you know, that's hitting that's hitting early in May and yeah. having having warm weather and you know, get it done. Hundred days is probably closer. Sometimes it What's, takes longer. Soil type has a lot to do with it. Oh, absolutely. What's your spring rate? Uh, well, again, what size is a sprig? Uh, <laughs> how many bushels? How many bushels in Georgia a Georgia bushels? We, Georgia we bushels. do we do U.S. bushels, and at that oh, rate, okay. you'd be it, you'd be looking at three fifty or so, three hundred fifty bush U.S. bushels. So it's a pretty heavy rate. It's it's mm -hmm. kind of like those plugs you're talking about. They're they're pretty close together, <laughs> um, and and you know the mortality. We're getting into production now, but the mortality goes up because you have yep. so many laying on top of the ground. Uh, you know, and that type of thing. But, um, you know, the, I, I would to go back to your original question, Jeff, I, I would almost never recommend spreading to a homeowner from our standpoint, but just, just for their success. Sure. Let's have another podcast on Randy's planting practices of zoysia grass. Cause I think that's a very informative one. <laughs> Um, actually, Aaron, we have one field of Zeon that grows in every year, every year. Yeah, I would say year, we typically say 
on a grow-in, we tell a grower three harvest every two years. The first year may be a little bit longer just because you're getting those rhizomes and that root structure established. Um, but then once you get established and you've got more, return, you've got a better return right. on right. it. So our typical is in a good growing zone um, that's further south. We're not talking the mid-Atlantic or you know, the northern part of the transition zone, three turns in two years. Um, and soil is definitely a part of it. Salts is definitely a part of it. Water is definitely, I mean, there's so many things that go into it that we would truly discourage a homeowner from sprigging a lawn because they're trying to manage it like a sod farm. Kind of the same extent as seeding. Unless you know what you're doing, it's not recommended. It's better to just go ahead and sod it. By the time you spend the time and the money to invest in sprigging or seeding your yard, you could have just sodded it. Absolutely. And been done with it. Especially with the cost of water and all the, all the things about water conservation. It, there's, no, there's no plus for Aaron's, Aaron's group or, or me as a producer to, to, to push that on folks. We, we set ourselves up for failure and that's the worst thing we can do for our customers. You know, talking about, um, and this may not be the direction you want to go, Tanner and Jeff, so stop me if you're wrong, but one of the things where we do recommendations for homeowners to do a zoysia grass, you know, one of the reasons we would suggest they go with a zoysia grass over another warm season grass, so St. Augustine or Bermudas or Centipede, um, zoysia grasses are very, very easy to maintain. Most people have this thought that you have to have a real mower to mow them and you don't, you can mow them with a rotary mower and still get a good clean cut. You can manage them at one and a half and two inches, which is a great mowing height for them. You have an arsenal of products that you can use on zoysia grasses for any issues that you may have, Bermuda contamination, any weed infestation or insect. Um, one of the things with zoysia grass is that they'll start to show signs of whatever the stressor is before a St. Augustine well, whether it's water, whether it's insect, whether it's disease, um, or even temperatures. And the thing is, is you can get on them, you can manage them, and then bring them back to life. Whereas if you're dealing with a St. Augustine in these warm season markets, then once it starts showing the signs of stress, typically it's, it's so far in decline that you're not going to be able to bring it back. So a lot of times a homeowner will look at a yard and they'll look at a St. Augustine when it's beautiful, it's beautiful. When the zoysia is kind of transitioning, even now in my yard, I mean, I of course have centipede St. Augustine and zoysia in my yard because this is what I do. My zoysia doesn't look great. My St. Augustine is rocking and rolling. It's looking really good. Um, but in just a few months, my zoysia is not a few months and a matter of another week or so, my zoysia is going to really pop and it's going to look great. But it is a much easier to maintain because it's showing those signs of stressors. A lot of times they look at St. Augustine yards next to them. They're like, oh, that looks good. I want that. But then if the water shut off or they have a major issue, they're going to prefer the zoysia. Aaron and I have a lot of things in common, and I just realized what the biggest one is. She has all those warm season grasses in her yard. She just told us that. I have the same problem, except my problem is I have 
dandelions, ground ivy, hawkweed, <laughs> um, thistles. I have I have weeds, so I'm kind of like the the plumber whose house is never always has the leaky faucet, or the contractor whose house is never done. <laughs> oh, yours isn't like that. No, I'm pretty particular with mine, but. I mean, I think zoysia is is a good option. I mean, I don't know how far north it's a great option. I guess that it's here and it survives. But I guess my question for you kind of dovetailing in with that, the lawn topic, what percentage of your, we'll say, you know, of, I don't know if you want to, I don't want to say sales per se, or just, you know, if you're, if you have a thousand acres of facade production, how much of that is going to go to home lawns, you know? And, 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 and what's the other uses for it? Well, I, from a production standpoint, that, that's totally, that's about the producer. Uh, producers have different directions. You know, you, you have a producer that, uh, um, man, I don't want this to sound pointed one way or the other, more of a commodity type grower. Uh, they don't, you know, it, that you grow it, you grow another crop, you do a great job with it, send out a good product and just move it. Uh, then you have a producer that has areas of where they feel like they do a better job. It fits, it fits what they do better. They do installation. They work with golf courses, sports fields, that kind of thing. So there's, there's several different schools of thought, at least in, especially, well, I'll say all the warm season grasses. I think you find that when you say Aaron and all producers, that's kind of you're, you're kind of an either or for the most part. Absolutely, I explain to a lot of our clients that we work with on the Sod Solutions professional mm -hmm. side that you've got your professional geared growers and you've got your residential commercial geared growers. And so Randy's hitting it right on the head where some farms will focus on the golf and sports and the parks and rec side of it, and other growers will focus on the residential commercial and some are working with improved varieties. So these are, you know, patented varieties and some are just growing the commodity grasses. So 419, and we talked a little bit about some challenges with 419 on the Bermuda one, um, you know, common centipede, as they call it in Texas, common St. Augustine, you don't have common St. Augustine in Florida, it's called Floratam, um, which is a University of Florida, Texas A&M release, hence the Floratam name. But you've got these growers who are focused on the more commodity grasses, and they are selling to the homeowners and the commercial guys, a lot of your landscapers, and then you've got the farms that are focused on some of the proprietary grasses, and they may be selling to that, but they may also focus on parks and racks, sports and golf. So um, it really depends on the grower. Percentages in terms of varieties that they grow, zoysia grasses versus other grasses and residential versus commercial or professional use varies by farm. In Florida, I would say 80 to 90% of the market is still St. Augustine. And the rest of the market is made up of a little bit of Bermuda and a little bit of zoysia grass. We are seeing a big trend moving towards zoysia grasses, but until we brought empire into the state. Now, remember, I worked for my family sod farm 20 years ago, used to ship El Toro zoysia, which was out of UC Riverside into the Keys um, from North Florida, from the Panhandle. 
but we didn't sell a lot of it because zoysia grasses in Florida had major disease issues. And when you get further south, that's the challenge that you face with the heat and humidity is finding a zoysia grass that has lower disease resistance. So when we released Empire, which was a selection out of Brazil, it was successful because it came out of very, very humid climate and that worked. But does it mean that it's just as successful in Texas? No, I mean, our acreage in Texas on Empire is much smaller than it is on acreage in the Carolinas and in Florida. So really identifying the zoysia grass that works in that market is going to be key. And I still think it's still a small percentage of it. Atlanta is a big zoysia grass market. So in North Georgia, you have more. Um, coastal areas of the Carolinas are very heavily covered with zoysia grasses. Texas, I feel, I still think Bermuda and St. Augustine probably take the cake on what zoysia grass is sold into Texas. Oh, I, I would agree. I, 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 we all would like to see, uh, we'd like to see a continued increase. And we have over maybe as recent as the last five or six years for us uh, in, in the growth of, of our zoysia market. And it's exciting to me because the, the zoysia grasses, generally speaking, all varieties, but generally speaking, the zoysias are, in Texas, are almost bulletproof. Uh, where, where San Augustine, we, I always say we pick up a lot of zoysia yards over folks that are just finally disenchanted with San Augustine. Um, they, need a, they need a shade tolerant grass. They need you know, they want a beautiful lawn. And, and Aaron said it a while ago, there's nothing prettier than a San Augustine lawn when it is 100% right. I mean, it just is. It's beautiful. Uh, but three weeks later, it may have take-all patch or brown patch, and it, it's going to be gone. Uh, where the zoysias, you put them out there. When I sell, when I sell our fine-bladed zoysia grasses, it, I, I don't ever expect to hear from that customer again. And, and usually don't. And that's a, that's a great thing from a production and sales standpoint is uh, we, we want people to be happy the first time, not after we fixed the problem. Hmm. So, yeah. I, go go ahead. ahead, Tanner. Cause I think we probably want to talk a little bit about um, kind of newer varieties, some of the older varieties and some of the newer varieties that are coming on, because I, I agree with Randy. I think there is, a continued trend moving towards zoysia grasses as we're navigating this end user awareness on how to manage them and maintain them and have the look of even a cool season grass that they wouldn't get if they had St. Augustine. And even the market in California is, is flipping to warm season grasses because of the water restrictions. And the only way they're going to do that is with zoysias and Bermudas. And so having something that you know, can grow in a, a longer season for them because they don't get as hot as we do here in the South. I mean, they've got to deal with some cooler temperatures. That's why cool season grasses have been top for them and so many, for so many years, but having something that can grow and can survive those water restrictions and those drought periods is going to be key. So, um, if you want to move into that, we can talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, I mean, I think that is that it was kind of where I wanted to go with this. But I guess the other thing is, is, 
briefly, if they are being used for golf or sports turf, mm-hmm. does the sport matter? I guess we, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of the, what I had some questions about. Uh, Randy, let's, we'll tag team this one. Zoysia grasses in a sports application, not really used. Um, you'll randomly have people call and ask you for it. Bermudas are key for that because of the amount of wear and tear that these facilities take. Um, Zoysia grasses and golf course, I think there's a big trend moving back towards Zoysia grasses. Um, a lot of them want it firm and fast. And so they're looking at the Zoysia grasses. So I know that we've had a lot of increased interest on the golf side for Zoysia grasses. I, I agree with you hundred percent, Aaron. Uh, the, uh, the, the Zoysia grass uh, request that we get in the golf industry just grows exponentially every year. Um, in Texas, generally speaking, as, produ- as producers, um, we've all been slow in adding acreage of zoysia grasses because they were years ago that, that, that it was just a hard climb. Everyone worked really hard to increase zoysia sales and, and demand. But we were all selling, this goes back to production, folks, that we were all selling all the Bermuda grass and all the San Augustine that we could grow. And so how do you take acreage out and, and, and convert it to zoysia because you're going to lose a couple of years there, right? And so from a production standpoint, it's been hard to do. But as, as our production acreage has increased in Texas, the, luckily and, and gratefully, the, the zoysia grass demand is just golf for T-tops anymore. The fine bladed zoysias, oh gosh, they're because there's a lot more shade. That's where the shade is around the tee box. So, uh, you know, we're getting the tee boxes, we're getting this. There's just a lot more demand for the zoysias, fairways, everything. Um, so, so we've, we've enjoyed that, appreciate that growth. Um, I don't know where else I was headed with that, but uh, uh, that's, that's where we see it. Sports. Aaron, I didn't know for sure what you were going to say, but I, <laughs> I, I uh, there, there are folks in this industry that believe that zoysia grass is is a sports field grass, and I respectfully di- disagree. Uh, it, it's a you, you have to have something. Jeff, you know this uh, probably as good as anybody in the industry. You put enough activity, you put enough play on a sports field, right? Uh, where a second baseman stands or a shortstop or where the center fielder stands in the same place in a 10-foot circle. Uh, team goes out of town for 10 days. They come back. Bermuda grass can recover. There's just so many things Bermuda grass can do. That's not Georgia's attribute. I don't. You just can't push it. Uh, it, it is very resilient. It'll last forever, but when it's worn down, it's not going to recover as fast as a Bermuda for a, for a, a sixth six game homestand after four days off and that's just baseball that's that takes that same thing with soccer football the other there are guys that'll completely disagree with you on that and again i respect i respect their their thinking but that's where i kind of feel like we are is i guess i know we were going to go in the direction um 
when, when the discussion that Aaron was going to have, but uh, as far as, you know, like the, the newer varieties, but real quick, is there a practice of overseeding zoysia with cool season grasses at all, like ryegrass, like we do in Bermuda, number one. And then number two, like golf courses that are using and implementing some of these zoysia grasses, do you get issues with contamination like around the course then? Do you worry about that with, with zoysia or no? I wish our listeners could see faces when we ask these <laughs> questions to our two guests. Because Tanner, when you just ask that, both of them made this face like I I can't even describe it to our listeners. What like, I don't know what their responses are, but they, it, it probably now, is now it's I probably want, now like I want to hear the responses. Yeah, because it's probably like, why would you ask that question? Do you Take have away, a turf? Aaron. Do you uh, have? Uh, a I'm going to leave this to you, Randy. Go for it. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. No, I'll let you start. I'll come in and I'll pop in in a minute. I'm I'm going to really sound like a neophyte at this point, but. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't see uh, zoysia grasses. We, we don't recommend overseeding zoysia grasses. Right. Uh, for one reason, it's, it's kind of like a homeowner sprigging. Uh, the expertise in, in establishing uh, an overseeding program and then eradicating the overseeding uh, for a homeowner is, is not valuable for any of us, in my opinion. Um, also, the a large portion of the zoysia grasses, even at the professional level, we find it really difficult. We've tried it. We've done it a little bit, but trying to get a seed bed in, in one of the fine bladed zoysias to, for ryegrass to come up is, is almost impossible. The beauty part of that is, so is it for it to establish weeds and, and off types and things blowing in. It just doesn't happen. So the huge benefit of, of the zoysia grasses, uh, from an overseed standpoint, we don't recommend it. Is that a little bit of a downside? If I if I look at it, yeah, there's. But you know, down here, we're we're used to things being dormant. Uh, you know, you you get up in in, in the northern states, uh, you guys do have that opportunity of having year round green. Okay, that that's where you've got us hands down. Um, but down here, I, I just don't really see a need for it. And with the water restrictions and all the water conservation overseeding is becoming less and less we've overseeded bermuda grass for instance for years on our farm to accommodate sports fields uh, model homes that have to go in you know in the winter time and they want to have that curb appeal we overseed for several reasons in bermuda grass and we have cut that production more than in half and probably in the next few years we'll come completely except for a very very small amount of our uh sports field grasses we won't overseed at all so that's kind of what i see aaron beat me yeah, up on I, that no i would 100 percent agree i think um competition for overseed and zoysia grasses and really the trend like randy was saying is moving away from overseeding um, there's been a couple of things that have triggered that. I think some of the improved varieties that are holding color longer, um, the awareness that we're able to get through social media and through these interactions of understanding the competition that comes along with overseeding, the shortage in supply or the cost of seed, you know, doubling this last year. All these, 
items have you attributed to a reduction in overseeding? Um, and I think it's beneficial to the warm season grasses because if you're going to have to deal with transition and you don't want to spray it out or you want to let it go naturally or you're trying to allow your grass to wake up earlier because that's what the newer genetics have brought to the table with it, it's a bad decision. I mean, it just, it's really not a good choice to overseed it. And so a lot of times I'll recommend if they really want some color, there's some great paints, there's some great dyes out there that you can put on it. Um, And you otherwise, like Randy said, you really got to open that canopy to even get the seed down in there to germinate. And then sometimes you're having to double your rate just to get something to pop up. So um, overseeding on zoysia grasses is not recommended. Not in my book. Two other points that, that you just brought to, to mind, Aaron, um, to really get to the seed bed of a zoysia grass, you're going to beat it up so bad the recovery time on it is, is going to eat you up. Uh, you, you, you'd been better to leave it alone, let it turn green. The other thing that we haven't talked about hardly at all is the color retention. We talk about slow green up, but the color retention, you're just trading one end for the other. In my opinion, the zoysia grasses may not have brilliant green color late in the fall, but they do still have color way after, especially 419, uh, Tifway 419 is what I mean. Uh, we find it holds, you know, it holds the color longer. So we're just, we're making a slight shift um, in, in the color retention, but again, I think in uh, the dyes, man, the dyes and the, and the colorants that, that we have available now, we can fix that problem so much easier. Plus, it encourages earlier green up. It, it, mm-hmm. heats the, it heats the plant up, helps warm the plant up in the spring, and we get faster green up with the dyes versus trying to get them out of transition. So, Aaron, did you want to talk about um, some of the newer varieties? Um, yeah, yeah, let's, we can move into that. So we talked a little bit about really some of the early zoysia grasses really came in in like, I think the early 1900s, um, maybe even just before that, when they were introduced into the U.S. Myers is really kind of that long-standing, commercially known cultivar that was there um, but it's been fun to see the transition. So I think it was all Matrellas in the early 1900s. Myers came around in 51, if I believe. Um, and Emerald is another fine textured zoysia grass that was released in about um, 55. So Jack Murray and Milt Engelkey had some releases yeah. in the 80s. Um, you had UC Riverside that released El Toro in the 80s. So we started to move into a larger, you know, diversity in the number of zoysia grasses that were on the market. Um, As we've moved into, you know, kind of 2000s and beyond, you know, even this year alone or the last few years, like us as a company, this doesn't even speak to the other companies that are out there doing releases, but um, innovation was released a few years ago, which I talked about was a Texas A&M and Kansas State. We have a new release out of NC State called Lobo. We have a new release this year as well. 
out of University of Florida called Citrozoi. Um, and there's an ultra fine program because as Randy mentioned, I mean, moving towards those, the golf varieties for zoysia grasses on those tees and being able to do something, you know, wall to wall, even to the greens, those ultra fine zoysias are becoming more desirable for the golf side of the business. So we are seeing a big change in the number of releases that are coming on the market for newer zoysia grasses. And all of them are looking at improved disease tolerance because as I mentioned, disease is a major issue in zoysia grasses and trying to manage that um, reduction in any water requirements. I think Lobo, it's key attribute. It was funded by the North Carolina Department of Transportation as a roadside grass. So it's a super low water use requirement. It's super exciting. Florida, University of Florida was saying, hey, Empire's the most successful grass in Florida, so the next grass we're going to release has to be as good as or better, so it's a little bit finer textured but has a better disease resistance. What's its opportunity outside of Florida? We don't know at this point, um, but it is fun to kind of see those next generations. Innovation, um, which was done by Dr. Fry and Dr. Ambika Chandra, is um, a variety that has a much better cold tolerance. So when we talk about pushing that line further northward, we're seeing that grown much further northward into the mid-Atlantic and having a lot of success and into Indiana and still surviving that. I mean, the key thing I tell people is just keep it well watered. You know, people in the wintertime need to understand that there is moisture requirements to keep a grass from having winter kill. That's usually the key sign of what goes wrong is they didn't keep it wet. So um, those are some of the newer varieties that have come out. I think you have um, L1F, which is now Trinity, was another variety that came out probably five, six years ago. Um, Palisades is another one that came out. Palisades has been out Randy, probably 12, 15 years now. I, I, I would guess. I wouldn't, I don't know exactly, but I think you're pretty close there. Yes. Yeah. So those are some of the newer generations that are coming out. And really, when we're looking to identify what are those next generation lines, it's going back and asking the end user, what do you want to see? What do you want coming out of it? Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I've learned a lot about Zoysia today. I, I hate to do this, but I'm looking at the clock. We're about out of time. That went really quick. Um, Randy, you were worried about, you, you know, Randy's always short of words. He, he's such a quiet guy. He's always <laughs> short of words. And he was worried about this not being able to last the entire time. And you did it. Hey, you know, I, I'm a real quiet guy. <laughs> For those of you that know Randy, know better than that. Um, and if you don't, trust me, um, he's never short of words. Um, Tanner, do you have anything you want to ask before we close this up? Um, I'm sure I have more. I have several things I'd like to ask, but I think I'll let them, if they have something that they want to share, um, maybe for our listeners, we'll give them that opportunity. Go, Eric. I feel like I've shared a lot. <laughs> um, maybe too much. So Tanner, I would almost say, what are some things that you want to talk about? I mean, did you want to hit like pH things, nitrogen requirements? I mean, management practices or, um, 
I mean, I guess that the main thing, because, you know, I'm just speaking from my experience with it. It seems like I, it produces a fair amount of thatch, right? I mean, mm-hmm. does it, do you have to, you know, do you verticut it or vertical mow it? Because, you know, then you might be damaging it and then you're talking about trying to get it to recover. So like, I guess a few of those, are there unique management cultural practices that are, you know, very specific or that maybe you don't do to zoysia grass because of it's kind of, at least the, the, the stuff that we're familiar with, it's kind of a slower grower. Yeah, Randy, I'll let you jump in. I'll hit on this for just a second. So to some extent, we really talk about managing nitrogen applications on zoysia grasses, management of nitrogen on even Bermudas. Anytime you do excessive nitrogen, you're going to increase the potential for disease, especially if you have thatch. Some of the older varieties have a lot heavier thatch layer than some of the newer varieties, because that is a characteristic that a lot of these um, and users would like something with minimal thatch or lower thatch, but on a finer textured grass, um, if you're not managing the thatch, then it's going to become a problem. So as a homeowner, if you can bag your clippings so often, that's great. If you can take it in the springtime, one of the biggest things that we recommend, because typically your mowing height will increase throughout the summer. So the first mow of the springtime is to come in and drop your mower all the way down, scalp it and bag the clippings. That'll actually help flush some new good green growth. Sometimes on a production side, um, I know myself and other farms have just burned the field to actually get rid of the thatch. That's kind of a unique, um, A lot of people like Randy just dead, his eyes got really wide and he thought, oh "Oh my gosh, but it's, it's been super impressive to see what burning off that thatch layer will do and the fresh growth that it will bring back. Um, And then, um, you know, verticutting, aerification, any dethatching mechanism. I mean, once they're established, they're in that aspect, they're going to recover quickly. So it's not a bad practice to go in and do that once a year. Do you have end users, meaning homeowners that do aerifications and verticutting? It's not a typical practice in the warm season market. I think it's probably done more in the cool season market from my understanding. Randy, what would you add? I'm gonna go out and burn my field just to see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i tell you what in my springtime springtime my, my part Early of the world spring. you set a fire you may be in trouble uh but uh, very true no no i i, I agree i mean you, you do have it, it's all about the management and and the, the things that you just reiterated about cultural practices with these grasses very much the same as all of our grasses uh, we want to reduce thatch we we we, we know we get more moisture uh, relief. We get our nutrients get in faster if we're not full of thatch, but there's ways that you control that. I think one of the best things about the zoysia grass is, is what Aaron said, manage that nitrogen because it just doesn't take nearly as much uh, as what people, at least in my part of the country, you know, our theory is if a little is good, a lot is great. And and that's that's really not the case with the zoysia grasses. They don't need tons of nitrogen to do their job, to be healthy. Um, we, we recommend iron 
a lot. I don't, I don't, Aaron, I don't know if that's what you got. Mm -hmm. We recommend iron if they want to push the color just a little bit, the plant's healthy, uh, but it, you just want a little more color. We push a little bit of iron. It's like a vitamin to what, what those orchard grasses are doing. Um, so that really, it, it's the cultural, cultural practices. And, and it's, uh, you know, for us, it's a little different than a homeowner. Our job is to get grass at stage five, okay? Stage five is ready to harvest. We need that plant to be at stage five for multiple reasons. Uh, from a selfish standpoint, if, if, we, if we get to stage five, then we have good rhizomes in the ground. We're going to recover faster. We're going to get the next crop up quicker. Uh, so we're a little different. In fact, if, if we let a product get old on our farm, and I do have some matrellas um, uh, that, I mean, Japan, we do have some japonicas that we may try burning just because they got old and they don't harvest as well uh, from, from a producer standpoint after the pro plant gets old. So uh, we, we may try that. We may start a fire. Let me know how that goes, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> If I'm in jail, you're going to, have to come bail me out. Hey, just make sure it's good burning weather. That's yeah, all there I say. There you go. There you go. Uh, Randy and Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Um, been great, very educational for me, and I, I'm sure that our listeners have found the same. Um, but before we let you go, um, we got a, um, we've got the, the the pitchers are in the bullpen. They're warming up, um, ready to try to strike you guys out before we let you go. Aaron, you know this game because you've been on the show before. Randy, three random questions with expecting random answers. Um, I'll get started, and Aaron, I'll let you off easy because you were on the show once before. You can. You, I'm going to give you the same question to start with, um, and that is your favorite. What do you like to do other than turf? What do you like to do other than work? Um, I'll let, I'll let Aaron go first because we already know her first, we know what she gave the first time and Randy, that'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. Thank you. So my life consists of obviously work, but outside of that, I have a almost six year old and a newly three year old. So most of my spare time goes to spending it with the kids. We're just starting to get into sports. Um, my passion has always been traveling, which is a large part of what I've enjoyed doing with Sod Solutions. So being able to get out and travel with the family and take them to places um, that I get to go really explore and experience the world, I, that's one of my true passions to do that with them. Um, but right now, most of my spare time is with the kids. We don't really get on the boat. We don't really get to go do a whole lot else right now. Um, but in a few years, we're almost there. We're almost out of the woods, right? That's what everybody tells me. All right, we'll go with that. Since we already knew that answer, that was kind yeah, of a, that is, that's kind of like the ultimate in lob balls, right? If we're playing volleyball, that was just like the great big lob. But Randy, you haven't <laughs> played this game before. So what's how about you? What do you like to do other than work? Well, I tell people quite often, Jeff, I'm not that much fun. So I really love the work. Um, I, I, I do get a, and have gotten a tremendous satisfaction out of out of the turf grass industry. And that's not my canned answer. That's really how I feel, uh, which is what you know I'll always tell you. Uh, but I do, I enjoy, believe it or not, I, I just uh, I haven't even taken possession of it, but I just bought a brand new Harley Davidson 
that I'm going to pick up in a couple of weeks and I'm going to do some uh, mountain riding in Colorado, New Mexico. That's something I've done since I was eight or 10 years old. Uh, so I enjoy the motorcycles. I enjoy my family. I have four, five, I have five grandchildren, uh, luckily, at least in the state of Texas. And uh, I have a son in California. We, we like to travel and go see him. I have a nice RV that we get around in from time to time. Mom, Andy, mom. we got we got to make sure something here. You said we have four grandchildren, then you said five. We need to make sure that we get that right because it's never good that Grandpa misses one. Well, I, 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 I can't say that. Let me back up. I had an answer for that, but I can't use it. Uh, I do have five. I have five okay. grandchildren. That's, that's, that's what I was getting at. But I, but I'll bait the hook. You'll bait the hook to what I really want to say. Four of them are all in one house. <laughs> and and the oldest one of that of that was four is nine, so uh, uh, that's that's where that's sure where we, I just wanted to make sure we were all on the same. We page won't get on the same page. I'm yeah. looking okay. out for you, Randy. That's what it's all about. Tanner, what do you have for our guests today? To see if we can strike them out. Yeah, I have a new question that I'm kind of curious about for 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 uh, for the responses from Randy and Aaron. Um, if you could eat, you know, what's your favorite thing to eat? You know, you probably travel a lot. You both, I'm sure, have traveled a fair amount, you know, because of your the industry. And I guess if you go out to, you know, a place, is there something on a menu that like you go somewhere like I'm going to try that? Um, what would it be? Do you want me to take this one first, Randy? Sure. Let, always. So if anybody out there listening knows me, they know I'm probably the most unique dietary individual. Um, my hand was kind of forced that way about 12 years ago, but I am gluten-free and dairy-free and which I love. I absolutely love it. It makes me feel good to eat that way. Um, so oftentimes I get asked if I'm a vegetarian, but I, I love to try fish, um, because I'm gluten-free. If they have a really good gnocchi that is straight potatoes, um, and doesn't have any flour in it. That's usually a go-to for me. Cool. Andy? <laughs> well, let's see. Over the years, I've been uh, vegan. Uh, I've been vegetarian. Uh, ve vegan in the sense of eating. They're, they're, vegan is a wide, a broad brush, and we're not going to go there. But as far <laughs> as eating, um, I have, uh, but, but I am truly one of the best eaters in the world. Uh, I, I love to be the guy that recommends the, the, the great restaurants in any given city. I did have an opportunity to travel quite a bit with Tritex Grass, but before that, I traveled about 160 days a year. Uh, and so I've eaten a lot of good food. I enjoy, I enjoy one-off places. Um, I stay out of the chain food. I try to eat as fresh as possible, as often as possible. Uh, and and I think it has served served me well, but I, I just love good food in general, and I like to be the guy that recommend a place that that everybody wouldn't just go to because they see the big sign on the highway. And uh, have eaten a lot of really good food across the country. If I had to go to on a, you know, I'm from Texas, we eat Mexican food, and and it's just about any time anywhere. But a good hamburger, I like to be the guy that knows where there's a good burger also. Okay. Did you right. cheat? You do like what do you put on the burger? Like 
you know, you go uh, every, somewhere. Everything, everything from an egg to avocado to, uh, I, I don't, it, ice cream probably. It, you can't put too much on one. But I tell you, the, the fried egg is the real deal on a, on a, on a cheeseburger. I've had that. I like that. It, it's, it, it's an interesting mix, and I don't know what it is that makes it so good. But I, I can take you to a few places with a fried egg on it. So, so that egg, is it, is it over easy, over medium or it's over medium. You don't want it, you know, you don't want to run it down your chin. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Now here's what I'm going to do for the third one. Oh, because Aaron has played this game and Randy, you haven't, you're going to get separate questions, Aaron. If you could start a secret society of any kind, what would your secret society be? And for Randy, we're going to change it up. Randy, you get to sit down and smoke a cigar with any five people in the history of the world, dead or alive. It can be anybody. And you have to assume that everybody would smoke a cigar with you. Nobody's offended by a cigar. Okay. You tell me who your five people are that you want to smoke a cigar. Aaron, you're going to tell me your secret society. Aaron, you're first. Oh, gosh. See, I told you I really don't like these questions. I like to have them so I can have a really good prepared answer. Um, this is a life test, not a... Not, not an academic <laughs> test. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know. Randy, you got you to gotta go first because I can't oh, think come of it. On. I'm, I'm making my, I have to have a list, Aaron. I'm See, making I my list. I didn't have that chance. I didn't have that chance. Come make, on. Come I, on. I've got to make, I've gotta make a list. Um, people, okay. A Five people. I, I know. That's what I said, Randy. If it were three, it'd be a much easier answer. Okay. So if I were going to start a secret society, um, hmm. you know, I don't know. I'm kind of one of those weird individuals where um, I've studied a lot of nutrition. I've studied a lot of yoga. I've, for some of our listeners, I got diagnosed with Lyme disease back in 2010. So it sent my path on this bizarre direction. Um, it's a true passion of mine. Um, and I've been grateful that I was diagnosed with Lyme disease because it really taught me to stop and say no and to check myself and to manage things. Um, So I I guess I'd have to go down this path of, um, you know, just understanding who you are internally um, and your body and bringing yourself back into balance. I know that's kind of weird. but that's where my head goes when I think about something like that. Um, not the very common thing. I mean, Jeff, as somebody who's been through a major health issue, you, you understand the side of it. Um, so I don't know. I guess if I had to start something like that, um, it, would, 
it would be something along those lines. That's a difficult question. I really don't like these. Perfect answer. (laughs) Perfect. I'll come up with a handshake and I'll teach it to you. I would join. (laughs) Yeah. You you come up with it, I'll join it. I I could tell you what our secret society would be. It'd be surrounding your people, surrounding yourself with people that you care about. And, uh, and, and uh, there's a, there's a guy, um, that I learned from a, from a, a little book that he gave to his kids. And he said, uh, good people beget good people. And that's what Aaron would like to do. She'd like to spend time with good people. Very those well are, said, Randy. Those are great words, Randy, but that's not your question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I might be through after that. <laughs> Don't divert me. <laughs> Who are the five people you're smoking a cigar with, Randy? In no particular order. No okay? particular because order. Because I, I, I don't. I, this first one, I just wrote them down in the list. And, and this first one, I don't want to. I don't want to sound as if economics are my whole deal. I would love to sit down with Warren Buffett. Uh, I believe the guys, had, at least what I can read, never had the opportunity to meet him, but I could sit down with him. He's a he's a straight up kind of honest guy, but he he understands the world and what what drives the train. And uh, I guess that's a little bit of a pun for Warren Buffett since he owns the trains. But uh, you know that I, I just think there's a lot to learn uh, for, from a guy like that that's straightforward and seems to be an honest kind of a guy. But he but he has a good grip on the economy. Um, the next one, and there's probably a handful of guys that fit this same bill, but maybe Roger Stallback, uh, just because I think he is a genuine person. I think he, uh, but but he was a, he was a sports guy. Uh, he, he has to be an ultimate competitor, and and we all, you know, any of us in sales or 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 business people, we have to be a little bit competitive, and we want we want to be, we we just. I just think he'd be one of those guys I could talk to. Um, the other group, I'd, I'd be more than happy to sit down. I travel with some folks, my wife and I RV to around the country. And uh, just those guys around the campfire, when I don't have to run, grab the telephone and answer a million questions about sod, uh, just sit around the campfire and relax. Uh, that, that was one of them. And then my third or my fourth, um, I don't want to get too sentimental, but I would love to sit down with my dad, uh, who is not with us anymore. And, and uh, you know, the older we get, the more, uh, the more we become educated, we hope, and the more things we learn about life and the things that I thought my dad didn't know much about life, I'd like to sit down and talk with him about them again. And then that last one, man, I'll talk to anybody. I, I, I'll talk to a post if they'll listen, and I love to hear I love to hear the old stories. I don't know who that'd be. Uh, you know, maybe a great pastor somewhere that uh, uh, could could educate me about some things. But that that would be. Don't have any particular name to throw out for that. Just just somebody with knowledge of of our anything outside the country. I'm not. I don't need it. I'm, I get everything. I can get my life right here in the United States. Boy, how about that? That's good. Incredible. Well said. He knocked that one out of the park. Aaron, it's a good thing we gave him time to stop and think about that because I would not imagine 
Randy's off the cuff answer that we would have gotten. We would have had to have cut the episode and done a bunch of editing. And <laughs> thanks for yeah, saving, what, thanks what for you'd saving have us to, the time. What you'd have to really know it, of anything worthy, I have to think for a long time. <laughs> that's that's true with me as well, Randy. That's true. I need a speech Randy. therapist, is what I really need. I learn how to speak English a little better. We actually had a guest on one time, Randy, that I gave them that question and they could only come up with four and I left them go. And as soon as we finished recording the episode, we hung up, we, you know, we ended and they texted me and said, I just thought of the fifth one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I just thought of mine. If it would, I would, this one wouldn't have a name and, and I bet Aaron could agree with me on this one. Uh, a motivational speaker, a really good motivational speaker, sends me through the roof. I mean, it's like caffeine. Uh, yeah. I, but, but we're wired a little different. We have to be. We've got to be on when we're on uh, as, as representatives of our, of our companies and, and where we're at in, in public. And, you know, those, those, if we didn't get excited about those kind of things, we, we probably couldn't do our job very well. That's true. Well, gang, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I'll remind our listeners that you can get a hold of Tanner and I on our uh, with our email. That's freshcutgrass at psu.edu. Um, send us questions for our for our guests, or send us um, episodes that you'd like for us to address. Again, that's freshcutgrass at psu.edu. Aaron, Randy, thank you so much for being with us. Tanner, good to have you with us again. Um, I'm going to say thank you one last time, um, Aaron and Randy, and we'll, we'll catch up with our listeners the next time.